Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Definitely, the Bible and the Word of God has an impact over our family, for sure. I want to share with you something about my personal life. You know, my lovely wife, she believes in all her heart that the society will distort the Bible, will change words in the Bible. So she collects Bibles, especially NASB. And uh, she never have a problem to put budget in it. We have all kinds of Bibles at home. And there is a budget to it. If I ask her, oh, mama, maybe I'll buy, we'll buy a food processor for making hummus. No, we don't have a budget for that. We don't have room in the house. But regarding Bibles, she put all the budget. And she, she does it very well. She also dedicates Bibles. Uh, she dedicated the Bible for me. And she said, I, she said oh, well, I, said, oh, I could get it for free. That Hebrew Bible. No, 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 it's for you, dedicated. And leather-bounded Bibles, and it's just beautiful. Uh, and of course, my, the children got some leather-bounded Bibles. And uh, why do I share that with you? To share with you how much the Bible has an impact over our family. You know, uh, about two weeks ago, I realized that the living room is a little bit too much messy. And uh, it was not my fault or my wife's fault. It was those little ones that we are raising. All over the living room, there was a mess. And, uh, you know, let's say that in order to convince them to clean the living room, I don't know about, uh, probably your family is like a family, like if somebody, the father comes and says, Will you please clean the living room? And all the children, yes, daddy, we will do that. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with those, that kind of family. Like, let's say like the English family here. You know, father comes and say to one of his children, Will you please clean the roaches from the sofa in its surroundings? Remember that video? It was from his house. Yes, Father, we will do so. It was a joke. I hope you'll jump. Anyway. No. Uh, so I spoke with my son about cleaning. And then I hear quiet, which is very rare, from my daughter's room. A complete quiet about cleaning. And, you know, it was very, the atmosphere. I put like, as, as I call it, as the Israelis call it, the leveled pressure over the kids. You better clean the room. And then I walked to my daughter's room. And lo and behold, what did I see? She's standing in the middle of the room with a leather-bounded Bible. And she looks at me puzzled. And she said, Abba, you're just interrupting in, my, in the middle of my devotion. The Word of God has an impact over our lives. We'll turn to uh, Shmuel Aleph, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 6. 
Open the Bibles. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Tziklag on the third day that the Amalekim had invaded the south and Tziklag, smitten Tziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were, were therein. They slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and his people that were with him lift up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Achinoam HaIsraelit and Avigail, the wife of Naval HaKarmeli. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake on stoning him. Because the soul of all people was grieved every much for his son, every man, sorry, for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Can you imagine to yourself what was happening here? What went through the mind of David, king of Israel? He was already anointed King, king on the run. Did you ever have this kind of stressful situation in your life that you cry and cry and cry and cry until you don't even have time to breathe or capability to breathe? Can you assume what happened? What was happening in the mind of David? In that stressful hour in Tziklag. Probably it was this kind of conversation. God, so far I've done your will. I have killed Goliath according to your will. I have blessed the people. I was persecuted by my father-in-law. And still persecuted by my father-in-law, King Shaul. For nights I haven't slept. Day and night, why is that happening? And on top of that, those people that you brought to me want to kill me. They want to stone me. You know, comparing to the anointing of David, the anointing of King Shaul was literally a wedding. David went through misery, that I will point later, but just for comparison. King Saul was anointed by Samuel. He didn't even want to be king. He was just looking for donkeys. His father, Kish, told him, go and look for donkeys. And suddenly, Shmuel... Have an understanding, had an understanding that King, that 
Shaul, Saul, is the one to be anointed as king. He gave him the best offering, the part, the best part of the offering, the leg. He anointed him, kissed him. The Lord sent Saul to an amazing spiritual journey where people were waiting for him with wine and bread and goats. You know, it's kind of reminding me the, the, that Yeshua sent his disciples to, to the little town and they said, Hey, uh, go and untie a donkey that no one written on it. And then a man will, if there will be men that will ask you, why, why do you untie that donkey? And you will say, the Lord needs it and they'll let you go. Amazing. Amazing story. It's like an amazing love story of the, of the anointing of King Saul. Samuel cast lots and Shaul was elected. He was so much in shock. He was in shock. It says that he was hiding himself according to the KJV. Translation. My wife is collecting the NASB, but I, right now I'm reading the KJV. It's a different story. Hiding himself among the baggage. In Hebrew, Nechba el hakelim. Until today, when somebody, when they say that someone is shy, you say in Hebrew, On the other hand, only few resisted King Saul anointing. Because Samuel was the spiritual leader of Israel and he pushed that, of course, by the instructions of the Lord. On the other hand, about the life of David, all, it seems that all his life from the beginning was a big, big struggle. Like he was in the arena for such a long time. You could see a hint about it that Jesse offered to show all his, all his sons before Samuel the prophet. And Samuel asked him, do you have another child? And he said, yes, the one in the mountains. You know, for that story, the sages, and in the Midrash, they developed an Agadah, a legend. And of course, it was enforced by Psalm, chapter 69, verses 8 to 9, when David writes, I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. So the Midrash, they made this legend. And in that legend, it says that Jesse, Yeshai, was a very righteous man. Okay? He was a very righteous man. And for a while, he left the mother of David, the mother of all his sons. He left her for a few years. And during that time, he had a mistress. Or a concubine. Um, but anyway, his wife, the mother of David, was longing for Yeshai. And she made kind of an agreement with that mistress. She contacted her and she said, Okay, I'm going to be in that place at night. I turn off the lights. But I just want to be with my husband. 
And you know, it reminds the, it's, it sounds like that legend is, is a hybrid, a combination of two legends, of not two legends, two biblical stories. The story of Leah and Rachel, and the story of Tamar and Yehuda. And it's all kind of combined to this legend. Anyway, eventually Yeshai came to that place. He thought that he was with his mistress, but actually it was his wife. And then, nine months later, David was born. And he, what did he think he was? He thought, what was in the mind of Yeshai? Oh, he's a bastard. He's not for me. This is why, this is what the Agadah, this is what the legends say about it. So, and David, it looks like, it's very interesting that he was rejected by his own brothers. When Yeshai sent David, sent David to give food, to his brothers and to their generals, his brothers even rejected him. When they confronted Goliath, and his older brother said to him, Ah, oh, you came over here to cause trouble. Are you a troublemaker? Or in Yiddish, Machzures. This is in Yiddish, Machzures. And eventually the rejected one, from his brothers became the highlight of the whole day when he smote Goliath. Even though David was, even though he married Michal, the daughter of Shaul, he was persecuted by his father-in-law. It's terrible to be persecuted by your father-in-law, I bet. And since that anointing as a king, 15 years, 15 years, imagine to yourself, David is, is living in, 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 in the middle of nowhere. Nights without sleep. One eye is open, one eye is shut, like this. And he's, he's going around people that are really, let's say weird. People that didn't want to pay taxes. People that were very, probably scarred and hurt from King Saul. People that are... You know what? I don't know if you've ever uh, heard that song uh, of the Steeler Steel, Steeler Wheels. You know that song? Well, I don't know how I get it tonight. I got a feeling something and right. You know, and then you hear about all those weird people that this person is hanging around. I don't know if you ever had this kind of experience. I've had this kind of experience in India that suddenly I landed to a place that I realized, well, I, I, that song went through my, my mind all that time. Where are those? So those people, you know, like, you know, people, in, very interesting people, characters were around him. He was around those people and he had to, to deal with them. He had opportunities to king, to kill King Saul, but even though he took the high road. So, with all that rejection, suddenly, David had to deal with people that, that wanted to crown him in every day. They wanted to crown him. Those people that were like, you know, weird, like, hey, I don't know. Very interesting people. They wanted to crown him. Every day. They believed in him. And uh, 
even though suddenly those people experienced all of them, including David, a punch in the gut. It was an ongoing battle. But then there was this punch in the gut, the knockout. The knockout that David and his people experienced. I love to see, I love to see boxing. And uh, sometimes I love to see knockouts. Of course, I'm a part of boxing. You love to see knockouts, yes. But the most, there is a guy that he's a boxer. And his expertise is a knockout by hitting the liver right here. This is his expertise. And, you know, when he does it, it looks like there's a few seconds that his opponent is like hanging there and then suddenly he drops. Because a good knockout to the liver, the person cannot function after that. It looks like David and his people experienced a punch in the gut. I can't imagine someone getting near to my family. Someone touching or trying to harm my family. Probably the animal will come out of me. If someone will come to my house, you know, some of us, you know, thank God we're living in Texas. But I don't know. I think with, that with my own fingers, with my teeth, I don't know what will I do if I run into somebody to try to hurt my family, my wife and kids. And those people, the animal came out of them. They wanted to stone. They wanted to stone and destroy David. The same people that wanted to crown David to be king, wanted to kill him. Isn't it funny that when we are angry, and when we are really, we think that the whole world is against us, and we are going through dark times in our lives. The first person that we want to accuse is Yeshua. And Yeshua is taking it. There was, I remember one time that I felt that all the world is against me. I was back then in Israel, a young believer. And I, I was by myself in the kitchen of my parents. And suddenly I found myself being angry at God, screaming, yelling. And I felt that Yeshua was listening to me. Same Yeshua that I crowned. I was so angry with him. So frustrated. So upset. But Yeshua took it. It's like when Yeshua did a miracle to Kepha with the fish. In Luke chapter 5 verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Yeshua's knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Yeshua took it with real love. If you look at the scripture, you see that he didn't react. He just loved on him. He didn't leave him. And suffered with Kepha and endured with Kepha. And eventually made him what he made him of. So, something happened in Samuel chapter 1, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want to speak about it just after this. You know, before the tree, before the, the sacrifice, Yeshua stayed away from those people. 
from those people that wanted to crown him all the time. In John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, it says, Now when he was in Yerushalayim, in Chaga Pesach, many, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in him, in his name. But Yeshua would not entrust himself to them, for, knew, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew that he what was in each person. When Yeshua, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by the force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. My point is, is this. David was a king on the run. He was surrounded by people that wanted to crown him. But then David came to a place that those people wanted to kill him. And David did something very, very important. Imagine to yourself that scenario. Those same people that wanted to crown him. That wanted that say, oh, we love you. We were going with you with, to, through hell and fire. Peter, in Chaga Pesach, when he spoke, the same Peter that said, depart from me, I'm a sinner. He said, Lord, I will go with you all the way. I will go with you all the way. And in the same night, he denied him three times. David understood that in that point, he has to do something else. He cannot put his trust in men. And it says in Hebrew, Vayitchazek David ba'adonai. In the KJV, it's written that David encouraged himself in the Lord. NASB, but David felt strengthened in the Lord his God. Now there's something here that I wanted to share with you from the Hebrew about what is really written there. But before that, I want to give you a little bit of a lesson in Hebrew, if you don't mind. How many buildings in the grammar, in the Hebrew grammar, are there? Anyone knows Hebrew? How many buildings? Seven buildings. Seven buildings. There is the building of Pa'al, Pi'el, Pu'al, Nif'al, Huf'al, Hif'il, Pa'el. Some of the buildings, when you put the root of a word, it means differently. Okay? But now that word, chazak, we say it all the time here when we finish to read the Torah, am I right? What do we say? Chazak, say it. Chazak, chazak, venit chazak. Am I right? We say chazak. Now, if you're going to put the root in other buildings, it even means differently. Like for example, if someone put the word chazak, the root chazak, in the building that is called Hifril, Hazik, it doesn't mean being strong. It actually has a connection to maintenance, something to do with maintenance. It doesn't mean that. But here, the word here, Hit Hazak, it's in the building Hit Pael, which means a mutual action. It's very important for you to understand that. A mutual action. For example, 
when, when a couple are hugging, it's not that the husband is hugging by force and the woman is not cooperating. It, it, looks, it doesn't look good. It looks good. It looks good when the husband and the wife are hugging together. In Hebrew, it's from the building Hitpael, Hitchabku, Hitchabek. That's the word. Same about kissing. You know, if you see a man kissing his wife and she's not real, it's not normal. This is not normal. But it's a mutual action. Hitnashku. Lehitnashek, hitnashek. There's a lot, for example, if somebody got integrated in a company, a person is, got the job, so the company has to give him a mutual help in order that this person will integrate in his job. If not, something is wrong with the way the structure of the company. The company has to give tools to that person in order that he will integrate to his job. That word is hishtalev in Hebrew. Same building. Okay? Before I will continue with that, hitpael, I want to tell you that it's very important that the words have meaning in Hebrew. For example... Uh, the word for an eye is ein, but the word for two eyes is einaim. Now, anything in your body that has duality in it, for example, hand, hands, but in Hebrew it's not, it means duality. Yad, yadaim, ein, einaim, lip, lips, safa, sfataim. You know, the name of our. Our congregation, Etz Chaim, it has a duality meaning. Think about it. Chai, it means alive. But we say Chaim, which means we have Chaim, Chai here, living here on earth, and living above. Duality. Same is about water. Maim. We have water on earth and water above. You need to read Genesis in order to understand that, yes? Hmm. Same. Think about it. Also the word Yerushalayim. Jerusalem. Yerushalayim also have a sound of duality. Jerusalem of below and Jerusalem of above. Yerushalayim. So there is a meaning to any diversion of the verb. And then, what I offer you here today is that David has experienced a mutual strengthening with the Lord. What happened there, that the people stopped. Imagine to yourself, there was a, a big shift going on. The same people that wanted to stone David, they paused. They paused, and then they followed David' instructions. And usually, people don't change their mind that fast. If they are like having an issue with someone, it takes something really convincing for them to go and change them, their minds and say, okay, let's follow the leadership of this guy chasing Amalek. Something happened. They felt that there was a mutual intimacy between the Lord and David. There was a mutual thing. They felt that David is is there, but he was not there by himself. He was there. You know, 
with a feet to the fire. But he was not by himself. And this is what they stopped. I want to tell you something today. The Lord, I don't know what you're going through in your life. You don't know what is going on in my life. You have no idea. But what I can tell you is this. From the story. The story of David. The Lord is jealous to have intimacy with you. And to have a mutual strengthening with you. To be with you. To speak with you. He's always there. He's always there. We are the ones that are blind to this, this spiritual truth. That one, God wants an intimacy with us. And He wants to strengthen us. And to have a mutual thing, intimacy with us. Even in the midst of whatever darkness that goes around you, the Lord wants you to have that. David had three choices. One, to let the people stone him. And then we will not hear about Yeshua because Yeshua was the part of the lineage of King David. But the Lord will provide another way. You know, don't worry. With God, everything is possible. Two, to run to run for his soul, and live in bitterness with that horrible sensation of missing. His wives were gone, probably belonged to another Amalekite. His kids were gone and live bitterly for the rest of his life. Or, what the third choice, which was the right choice, Getting strengthened in the Lord. And that he has done it with faith. Because without faith, you cannot please the Lord. You cannot please the Lord without faith. The Lord commanded the people of Israel to first the Kohanim to cross the Jordan. Only when their feet touched the Jordan, then the Jordan split. You have to walk in faith. It's very interesting to know what exactly happened. But definitely something happened. For sure. I, I bet that those people, those interesting people, were amazed by this sight. And accepted again the leadership of David to chase the Amalekim. I want please to show me, to show the picture on the, uh, sc on the screen of the rabbi. This picture is taken from the Holocaust. If you pay attention, there is a rabbi humiliated here. He's riding on another Orthodox Jew. He was forced to play this game of riding over a horse while all the Nazis around them were humiliating and and there was another Nazi that was holding a whip. That uh, rabbi was, and all the rest of the people that were also in the background, the other Jews, that picture was taken in, um, in a little town, little shtetl in Tranov, in east of Poland, in east of Poland. The name of the rabbi, the person that is 
you see him holding his fist. It's like it was a motion, like he's holding a way to control the horse underneath him. This is why he was holding his fist. The name of the rabbi is Bar Erlich Sloshni. Him and all the rest of the rabbi, all the rest of the Orthodox Jews were immediately shot after this photo. Some of them were taken to the extermination camp in Auschwitz. This picture was in the office of the head of the Mossad, a man that is called Meir Dagan. Meir Dagan was the head of the Mossad. For those of you who do not know what is the Mossad, it's equivalent to the American CIA. Meir Dagan had amazing reputation and amazing resume. He was in the military. He was a general in the IDF. Uh, and he most, mostly acted against the Iran nuclear weapons. He has done uh, operations that uh, some of them we know about, some we never know about. A very, very brilliant man, a very courageous man. And that picture was in his office. You know why that picture was in his office? Because that person was his grandfather. So Meir Dagan strengthened. Imagine to yourself, modern Amalekites have done that. Modern Amalekim, those vicious, nasty Nazis, the scum of the earth. Modern Amalekite came and stole his grandfather. From him. So, and he, from this, Meir Dagan got strengthening to never, ever, to let Israel go through another Holocaust. He showed that picture, said, This is my grandfather. And from that depth, from that place of agony and pain, he got strength from it. He got strength from that, from the Holocaust, from one of the darkest period of time of the Jewish people. He got strength from that to, to do everything that he can do in his strength, in his ability, in his mind, in his heart, to prevent Iran to become nuclear and cause another Holocaust to the Jewish people. This is where he got his strength from. Meir Dagan. He, uh, he died on March 17, 2016. And I'm telling you today, today, that each one of us in this room has the ability to get strengthened in a way that is greater than just holding a picture and carry a memory of your murdered grandfather. We can get strengthened from the God of Israel, Ha'adon, Elohei Israel. David, not give us an example what we should do in a time that everything looked lost. You lost your job? Good. Go 
and get strengthened in the Lord because you will have a better job around the corner. You lost a friend, a brother, a relative. Someone that is near to you turned on you. Go and shut the door. Experience with the Lord a closet experience and He will strengthen you. We're in good hands. Actually, we're in the best hands. There's no other better hands than the Lord's hands. Let's be strengthened. Have an itchazek in the Lord. And we return to the arena much stronger. Because we don't have a choice. We really don't have a choice. For those of you that want to say, Oh yeah, you know, since I came to know Yeshua, everything is well. And God made me to really to be a bridge between the world and the kingdom of God. A bridge. Excuse me, God didn't design bridges. He has children. He has sons. He has daughters. No grandchildren. And... Until he will return, you are in a war. You don't have a war against flesh and blood, but you are the war. And we have to know how to strengthen ourselves in order to win this war. Theodore Roosevelt, the president of the United States. I'm sure that my daughter knows which number of president. She knows all the presidents. I don't know. She probably knows. She will tell me later. Uh, he had a very famous speech during his journey in Europe uh, through Paris, Vienna, Budapest, Oslo in Norway. And uh, he wrote this. He, he said a speech that he got a Nobel Prize for it. I'm sure you heard about it, but it's always good to remember and say it again. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is mirrored by, the, by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without... And shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds. Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions. Who spend himself in a worthy cause. Who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, worst if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I have good news for you today. You're not alone in the arena. The scriptures show us great encouragement. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. Be strong. And of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. 
For the Lord thy God. Yeah, KJV all the way. He is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Lo yarpecha velo yazvecha. How do we sing it? Lo yarpecha velo yazvecha. Finally, I want to say to you several more things. David asked the ephod from Abiatar HaKohen and he clinged to it. It's very interesting that uh, David uh, always touched the things that were in, in the Holy of Holies. He ate the showbread, he, he touched the ephod, even though he was, even though the Lord indicated that he is not the one that, to build the temple. But I think he, there was something in his behavior that points out far to the Malkitzedek, to the Kohen, according to Malkitzedek that will come from his line, Yeshua the Messiah. But even though he clinged to the effort, and he received the promise from the Lord that he will chase the Amalekim and he will return his wives and children and all the wives of children of those who follow him, they will have victory. This is an amazing result. Something very interesting happened after this. You know, it was a turning point event in the life of David. And that punch in the gut turned to be an amazing victory. You know, what amazing is that the same people that cried with David until they couldn't, they couldn't breathe anymore, the same people became, some of them became amazing heroes. In the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23, Verse 8 and continue. There is a whole big list of the heroes of David. Did you ever pay attention that the heroes under David were the list of the heroes is much longer than the heroes under King Saul? That's amazing. Amazing list from the same people. Unbelievable. From the same people. It's amazing what happened to people when they are following a leader that all his heart is with the Lord. It's amazing to hear about Pnayahu ben Yoyada. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked to uh, give a Hebrew name to uh, one of the children of the family. And I said, you know what? Your name will be Pnayahu. Pnayahu ben Yoyada. Man, that kid turned, grew up. He joined the IDF. He flew from here. Joined the IDF, became a paratrooper. He married uh, in, now in Israel. And he's still in the forces. My goodness. His name really, uh, you know, promoted him. Nayao. Another hero, Shama ben Aga Harari. He fought by himself. Imagine to yourself a bunch of Philistines coming over to take off lentil, lentils. You know, a field with lentils. And he fought by himself. To save that lentils field. I personally don't know how lentils field look like. And believe me, if I'll be in my flesh and I'll see Philistines coming over, okay, I'm going to back down. I'm going to go and buy lentils in India Bazaar, no problem. You know, I love the Indian people, by the way. Probably somebody will say, hey, don't say that all the Indians are not brave. 
probably one, next week somebody will grab me, me, grab me by my throat and say, listen, I was in the military of India. You talk like that again, I'm going to make a chicken tikka out of you. You know, <laughs> we are courageous people. Anyway. So, one man stood in front of the Philistine and won. You know, there's something. You know, when the Lord teach you how to win big battles, He will also teach you to win something that look insignificant like lentils, a field of lentils. In other words, when you are with the Lord, He will teach you one thing. There is no negotiation with the enemy. No negotiation with the enemy. You can win and take your wife and children back, but you can fight for something insignificant and win even that. Another, the third hero, El-Azhar ben Dodo. It says that this El-Azhar ben Dodo ben Achochi, he fought the Philistines until his hand was tired, and then it says, and his hand cleaned or cleaved to the sword. Imagine to yourself, he cleaved to the sword and he smitten the enemy. And you know, he fought again by himself. And it says that the people, imagine to yourself, the people went after him just to take the spoil. One man fighting and the other people take the spoil, the loot. It's an unbelievable picture. Davak, that is the word davak. The word davak, devak in Hebrew means glue. Always, if you see the word glue, davak in Hebrew, no one thing. There's always good outcome. A man should cleave to his wife. There's a good outcome. A house is built in Israel. Children are coming, grandchildren. Yes, and all the good stuff. Ruth, it says that she cleaved to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Wow, amazing when you cleave. And there are, every time you're going to see the word cleave in Hebrew, you will see a good offspring, a good result. Also here, his hand cleaved to the sword. He fought without stopping. And there was an amazing victory that was documented in the Bible. Cleave to the Lord today. Cleave to the Lord today and you are going to see amazing things that is beyond your circumstances. The last thing I want to share with you, please show the other picture. Thank you. You know that uh, this is, by the way, this is the book I wrote during uh, COVID-19. I'm, I'm going to be very short. In COVID-19, I was out of work. Back then, I worked in real estate. And uh, we, uh, we lo I lost several deals in real estate. And then uh, we were, you know, <laughs> we couldn't even uh, cough on each other in the family. Remember that time? And then I said, Lord, what am I doing in this time? And the Lord said, what are you waiting for? The Lord liked to talk to me, to ask me questions. What are you waiting for? And I said, what do you mean what are you waiting for? And I said, he said, the Lord, write the book that you had in your heart for 15 years. And I wrote this book. And the reason why I'm speaking about that is because in this book, I predicted the judicial crisis that is happening now in Israel. I'm going to be very fast about it. I know that we are under over, over time. Uh, I believe that this crisis lead to Israel to a special cornered place. A very special cornered place. As, and it's, as it's described in the book of Hosea, chapter 3, verse 4. 
I'll read it real quick in English. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without terafim. Terafim, by the way, it's always connected to idolatry. In Israel, unfortunately, is in idolatry. Afterwards shall, be, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. From what I see, Israel is going through their own arena now. We are, they are cornered to this arena. And from that arena, the prophecy of Hosea tells us that they're going to end up eventually victorious and they will choose Yeshua. It says that they will fear David. David. Yes. Amen. So, we need to pray for this time. I just want to encourage you, before we move on, I want to uh, ask you to stand. Please stand. I want, I want you to, uh, to recommit, recommit yourself to go back to the arena today. Whoever, this message is for whoever among you that did not just left the arena, left the battle, and came back. And I'm going to read to you from the words of Yonah Navi in Hebrew. Jonah. Why Jonah? Because Jonah left the arena. And circumstances led him to go back to the arena. He was not, I don't think that Jonah was a coward. I don't think that Jonah was a coward because a coward would not say, would not say to the sailors to throw him to the ocean. He was not a coward. I think that what really took Jonah out to decide not to go to that arena, to that spiritual warfare for the city of Nineveh, combined by two things. Selfishness. Selfishness. And one more thing. Lack of mercy. Lack of mercy. Selfishness. I'm a Jew. Why should I go and bring revival in Nineveh? The enemy of Israel. And lack of mercy because, oh, why do the enemy of Israel deserve any mercy? Lack of mercy. Remember that. I'm going to read that and I'm going to finish this message. Please, have your time with the Lord right now when I read this word. ותשליכני מצודה בלבד בלבד בגמים ונהר יסובבני כל משבריך וגליך עליי עברו ואני אמרתי נגרשתי מנגד עיניך אך אוסיף להביט אל אכל קודשך עפפוני מים עד נפש תהום יסובבוני סוף חבוש לראשי לקצבי הרים ירדתי הארץ בריחיה ועדי לעולם ותעל משחת את חיי אדוני אלוהי בהתעטף עלי נפשי את אדוני זכרתי ותבוא אליך תפילתי אל היכל קודשך משמרים הבלי שווא חסדם יעזובו ואני בכל תודה אזבחה לך אשר נדרתי אשלמה ישועתה לאדוני שבת שלום ומבורך